one of the symptoms of sickle cell is jaundice mm. and it can cause like a yellowing of the skin a yellowing of the, the whites of your eyes mm-hmm. and that was one of the things that not only my mom would look for when she'd see or are we feeling okay she'd start to say your skin is looking jaundice or your eyes are looking really yellow but it was it was something that from time to time people would come up to us and say why are your eyes yellow what's wrong with you why do you look like that um, it's hard to explain those kinds of things to a kid, but um, but that was always one of the indicators that my, my parents and my teachers would also sort of look for to see um, something wrong. That was my guest on today's show, Jonah Brown, who was diagnosed with sickle cell disease as a first grader. And now he's in, in his mid-30s. He's lived uh, 30 years with it. And we're going to jump into the mental health part of it, the relational part of it, and of course, how it affects your body. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. and you hosted by toby jenkins a licensed marriage and family therapist serving central kentucky each week toby will bring you a show with a topic related to mental health relationships or self-improvement the name of the show paradigm comes from that moment in the therapy process when a profound shift in perspective happens for a client an epiphany sometimes accompanied by physical reaction that leads them to look at things differently and make significant steps towards improving and enriching their lives. listening to Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. I'm your host, Toby Jenkins, and today I'm joined by Jonah Brown. Jonah is a native of Richmond, Kentucky, a graduate from the University of Kentucky with an undergraduate degree in political science, African-American studies, and Spanish, as well as a 2010 graduate of the University of Kentucky College of Law. So, Jonah is joining me today because uh, we're going to talk about sickle cell anemia, or sickle cell disease. And so uh, many people um, know about sickle cell, but may not know about the intricacies of the disease. And so uh, Jonah has graciously joined joined the show today to to talk about his experience with it. Now, in addition, um, Jonah's also very active and passionate about politics. He's been active in political campaigns at various levels, including working on a 2008 Obama for America campaign. He also does a lot of local uh, Kentucky races and is a volunteer coordinator um, for organizing, messaging, and communication, including speech writing, which I could use a lot of help on, and um, in various activities with uh, community organizations. So welcome to the show, Jonah. Thank you for having me. This is uh, this is exciting. I've never had the chance to uh, sit and talk about my experience, um, you know, living with sickle cell. So I really appreciate it, and I think this is important, informative, and necessary. I totally agree. So you know, um, so just for background, maybe um, since you've lived with it and you know a lot more than I do about it, what is sickle cell anemia, and then like how 
when did you get diagnosed and like how, what is your story living with the disease? Yeah, so sickle cell anemia is a rare blood disorder that affects the red blood cells in your circulatory system. Um, basically, your body uh, produces red cell hemoglobin. And what, what your body produces is red cell hemoglobin that looks round, sort of like a, a donut, and it's uh, slick and flows through your body normally. And the, the role of the red blood cell is to carry oxygen to various parts of the body. For sickle cell, my body produces red blood cells that in that shape, but they also produce um, sickled cells, which are deformed cells that are in the shape of a crescent moon. They have a little stickier um, substance to them. So as they spread through the, the, the veins, um, essentially they have a little tougher time um, spreading through the body. They can get clogged up. And when that happens, um, that essentially is what uh, causes what we call a sickle cell crisis or pain episode. Um, if the red blood cells that are sickled tend to uh, be produced at a higher rate, they get clogged up in different parts of the body. They're not spreading oxygen to the body. Um, that can cause uh, lack of oxygen to areas like the joints and bones, to the muscles, to uh, organs, and um, causes severe pain crises, causes um uh, reduced oxygen, uh, and there's lots of other other symptoms and things that that can happen as a result of of that underlying um, incident. But um, it is something that can be brought on from certain triggers like um, extreme heat, uh, extreme uh, cold. Uh, if you know, if I'm dealing with an infection of another kind, like you know, when I had the chicken pox, when I had the flu, uh, my body's more susceptible to a sickle cell crisis. The body's more likely to start uh, going into a, a sickling phase uh, where it's producing much more sickled cells as opposed to healthy red blood cells. Um, so stress can make your body create more sickle cell red cells. Wow. Yes. Okay. Um, stress, um, any type of physical trauma, you know, and, and I remember as a child, one of the things that uh, would happen to me when I was little, I played little league baseball. Uh, if I ever got hit by a pitch, uh, hmm. let's say if I got hit in my arm or my shoulder, um, it was it was pretty common that later that night I would have a crisis in that area. Um, it is fairly unpredictable, although I just listed a bunch of indicators that, that can um, be potential triggers. Um, there are other times where a sickle cell patient can otherwise seem completely healthy and mm -hmm. end up in a in, end up in a crisis situation. Um, that is one of the really difficult things about treating this disease is that. You can do a lot of things to prevent uh, crises from happening or reduce the number of those incidents. But um, when it's so unpredictable, um, despite the best efforts, despite the medicine that exists and other treatment options, um, sickle cell patients can still have random episodes that can be um, mild, uh, which might be um, achiness and pain in your joints and your bones mm -hmm. and your muscles to very severe where you, you know, are suffering from lack of oxygen can be at risk for acute chest syndrome hmm. um, and usually require um, medical care in an emergency setting with um, pain medicine and fluids and uh, oxygen. Um, one, of the, one of the other triggers of sickle cell is dehydration. So hmm. if you're okay. just overall dehydrated, then um, you can be at risk as well. So usually whenever I am admitted to the hospital, uh, the very first thing they do is start an IV with fluids to get my get me hydrated, keep me hydrated, 
Um, and that's, that's one of the things that you talk to any sickle cell patient, they'll tell you that they have to stay hydrated regularly. Wow. Um, so because it's circulatory, it, that means that it can affect any part of your body. So is that kind of what you're, you're talking about in terms of how unpredictable it is? Yes, it is. And it, and it certainly can affect any part of the body. I can, I can say from my own personal experience that um, I have a few areas where it tends to be more common, although I've, I've had uh, health issues pretty much everywhere. I've had in my head and my brain, I've had um, primarily uh, when I was younger, I would have issues in my back. My upper and lower back is where I would experience the most pain. Um, after that, it would usually be my arms and my legs, um, sometimes in my hip. Um, and there are times when the, the pain that attacks the legs can be so debilitating that I'm not able to walk, uh, will have to be carried or put in a wheelchair or a stretcher if the, if the ER has to come in, or if the EMT, excuse me, have to come in mm-hmm. and, and take me. Um, it, it just depends. Um, there's lots of different ways that sickle cell attacks the body, both in a crisis and every day outside of the crisis. Wow. So when were you first diagnosed with it? It's a good question. So I was born in the uh, mid eighties and at the time uh, insurance companies did not require that um, new babies were screened for sickle cell. So I am not a hundred percent certain when my parents learned that I had the disease, but I can tell you that it was uh, first grade uh, this is the first time that I'm aware. I was, it was in first grade. I had our um, school science fair and um, I was at, at home after the science fair with my aunt and um, my sister and she put us to bed. My parents were not home yet. Uh, I woke up in the middle of the night, probably three or four hours into sleeping and I was in excruciating pain and I had no idea um, what was causing it, what, what had come from. I just, I just woke up and my body ached in a way that I, I, never experienced before. My parents rushed me to the hospital. And that was the, the, the time when I learned um, not only that I had sickle cell, but exactly what that meant. Um, that does not mean that I didn't have episodes before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't, either I was too young to recall, or that was the first time that I had one that was major enough to be um, hospitalized for. Um, I, and I, I've never gotten a clear answer to this. If, if babies or young children before they have that awareness, if they are susceptible to experience that, but, um, first grade was, was the first time for me that I had a crisis and pretty much from that point on, it continued, uh, till today, um, varying between, you know, one to two major episodes a year to six or seven. Um, wow. there've been times in my life where, uh, I missed, uh, enough school to be uh, taken out of school. And I've been homeschooled. I've had teachers come to my home and teach me or teach me in a hospital. Um, my senior year of college, I missed about uh, 30 to 45 days of school. Uh, wow. So it, it can vary in terms of severity. And, and for me, I think I had a pretty severe, uh, pretty severe case growing up. Um, mm-hmm. although I think now, and I'll talk a little bit more about the treatments and things that are out there, it has become much more regulated. Okay. Um, but yeah, first, first grade is where I'd go to first grade. So you were not screened and sickle cell is a genetic disorder. So passed it, down. Is, it is hereditary disorder. My, both of my parents have the sickle cell trait. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to be passed down by both parents to have either the trait or the disease. 
if one parent has the disease or the trait and the other parent is not a carrier at all, then, um, then the, the child cannot have the disease, but, uh, but both of my parents do. And unfortunately my sister has the disease as well. So it was kind of a rarity that both kids would end up with the, with the disease, but, uh, that's, that's the lot that we drew. So your parents are carriers, but do not have it. Is that right? Correct. That's you and your sister both have it. Have the disease. That's right. Disease. Okay. That's, um, Mm -hmm. that's interesting that, um, they're both carriers trying to think of any, of any other kind of, I'm sure there are probably others out there. The other one that comes to mind is maybe cystic fibrosis. I think people, parents can be carriers and not have it, but then they can pass it on. Um, hmm. right. That's it. Well, we're up against a commercial break. Um, today, my guest is Jonah Brown, and we're taking a dive into sickle cell anemia and uh, the many facets of how it affects not only Jonah's physical life, but we're going to get into uh, you know how it affects his emotional well-being, mental health, and the relationships uh, he has too. So uh, we'll be right back after this break. This is Toby Jenkins, founder of Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy and host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy is a proud sponsor and supporter of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. At Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy, we work with couples, families, and individuals walking with you through life's challenges and transitions. You can find out more about Jenkins Couples and Family Therapy and request an appointment through telehealth or in person at www.jenkinscft.com. Dot com or by calling 859-806-0093. Uh, we are back. You are listening to Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. I'm your host, Toby Jenkins, and today my guest is Jonah Brown. And uh, Jonah, uh, from the uh, age of seven or eight in first grade, um, became aware that he had sickle cell disease. So, um, you know, before the break, we were talking about his history with it and and some basics about the disease. And so, um, you know, Jonah, you're in your 30s, so first grade into now in your 30s. So this has been a a day-to-day, day-by-day from crisis to crisis kind of thing for you. But, um, you know, I just want to uh, maybe what's it like living day-to-day with sickle cell? Yeah, that's a that's a tough question, you know. And it, and I will say this: I'm I'm, I'm going to speak on my personal experience, but I know from other sickle cell patients that uh, it varies. It varies because uh, first, there are, are several different kinds of of sickle cell, um, and the different kinds can impact the severity and the types of issues that that one experiences. Um, other other factors certainly um, matter in terms of your overall health condition. Um, things like that. So I'm going to talk a little bit about my experience and I'll try and shed some light on how it might differ for, for other folks. Um, you know, but for me as, you know, starting out as a young age, I mentioned, you know, not really having a clear awareness of what it meant to have sickle cell. But as I started to get sick, I, I as a young child, got pretty educated pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going to doctor's appointments with my parents and I would always carry my notebook because, you know, they were my parents and they, you know, handle those appointments. But I had lots of questions myself, so I wanted to be clear about what I was experiencing and, and what it meant. Um, you know, as a child, I remember that it 
the way it affected me would be, you know, the way it would affect any other sick child when you've got limitations in terms of your energy, being able to, to keep up with other kids. I, I loved to play sports when I was little. I was on little league baseball, soccer teams, things like that. Um, and it was clear to me that I could not keep up at the same pace as other kids. I could play and run, um, but I always seemed to get tired easier, mm-hmm. quicker, and would need more time to recover. Um, I, I mentioned earlier, I had to stay hydrated. Um, I remember my mom would have to write notes to my teacher to um, get an excuse for me to be able to carry a large water jug. And that was always tough <laughs> as a kid because um, you were ahead of your time. <laughs> I was, but <laughs> it wasn't something that, that young kids understood. It was more of a, well, he gets one. Why can't I? Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want that kind of attention when I was younger. I didn't want to be treated differently. I didn't want to be um, I didn't want to be taken care of in that way. I knew what I needed to do, but I didn't want others to see those things and think, oh, he's he needs special care. He needs special attention. I didn't I didn't really want that. But but it was something that I had to live with. I knew I was going to have to drink this amount of water every day. I knew that I had to be careful when um, days got particularly hot. I couldn't go outside or I couldn't stay outside. Um, my mom was very diligent about making sure we had to wear coats in the wintertime, uh, things like that. Um, but so I was your able class, to, so your classmates treated you differently. My classmates treated me the same when I was healthy, um, oh. when I wasn't not healthy or when I would be recovering or coming back, that's when they kind of realized, you know, because there'd be weeks at a time where Jonah would disappear and mm. they'd find out I was in the hospital. And I, I still have to this day some of the cards and things that I would get from classmates because um, it meant a lot to me for them to to miss me and to start to understand a little bit about what I was going through. Um, I really loved school as a child. One of of the things we were talking about before we got started was some of the the misconceptions about sickle cell. One of the things that I was taught really young from one of these really old 1980s um, pamphlets about sickle cell was that people with sickle cell um, have a propensity to perform more poorly in terms of um, their academics and, and their intellect. And that was something that just never really sat right with me. I didn't understand how blood disease affected my ability to learn. And so I sought out very early to confound those expectations mm-hmm. and to um, rebut that, that myth that's out there. And thankfully, you don't see a lot of that, that kind of information spread about sickle cell. So that's, that's simply not true. But that was that was the prevailing thought in the eighties that people with sickle cell uh, were lower performing, lower functioning. Um, One of the stereotypes that you might hear about people with sickle cell is that they are lazy, that they're tired all the time. And there's a, there's a very basic scientific reason for that. Um, And that is, you know, sickle cell is an anemia. Um, Mm -hmm. People with sickle cell have lower, um, lower oxygen levels and they can't control um, the energy, because uh, you never really know. It, it, your body doesn't tell you um, what you're going through until you experience the pain itself. Um, so if my body right now is sickling, I wouldn't know it um, until okay. it reached the pain point. Um, but, you know, that's as, kind of astounding that, you know, it, it's that was the 80s. And we've learned a lot about, uh, you know, stigmatizing disease, stigmatizing conditions, but that is astounding in a yeah. pamphlet that spread and who knows how many people read it and where it was publicized. Yeah. And then, gosh, I, yeah. and, I, I was and not, this is what that. our doctors, 
our, our, this is what my pediatricians are telling us to, to be aware of and to prepare for. Uh, I was a straight A student all through elementary, middle and high school. I, I did not have issues with academics and I loved school. I loved learning. So that never sat right with me. And that is kind of what prompted me to take a more proactive role in my own treatment, because mm-hmm. If that part wasn't true or did not apply to me, then what else necessarily didn't apply to me or was incorrect about my experience? Um, and, and part of the reason we haven't, I don't know if we touched on this, part of the reason that that was such a stigma was because sickle cell anemia predominantly affects African-Americans. Um, mm-hmm. It is not a disease that affects everybody equally. Um, people of other, other races and ethnicities certainly can um, inherit sickle cell from their parents, but um, predominantly you'll see it in, in um, African-Americans. I believe uh, one, in, one in 12, I believe, carry the trait. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure the stats on how many have the disease, but um, it is, it is, that is part of why that stigma, I guess, is, is something that I've always sought to confound is that um, I don't want there to be this idea or misconception that Black people that live with sickle cell um, are lower functioning, are less intelligent, or have um, lower capabilities of learning or performing in school or in the workplace. Um, that has certainly not been my experience or my sister's or any of the other folks that I've had the pleasure of meeting that have, are living with sickle cell. Um, but it is something that is, has been out there that I know a lot of people have been fighting to, um, to overcome. Yeah, that's, um, you know, in the, yeah, I mean, we get into some trouble when we use those kind of statistics and attach it to people from certain parts of the world. Um, you know, one of my previous guests on the show, um, who is of African descent, African American, so no telling what else is in the uh, in her gene pool there, but um, because of because of because she presents as a black woman and she was having these GI issues her doctors just ruled out celiac disease because celiac disease is something that affects people from of European descent. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, with her mix in her background, uh, she had to demand that please check me out for that. And sure mm-hmm. enough, she had it. And so it's interesting. Um, not only the, you know, the, the stigma, the attachment to it, but it, it celiacs get stigmatized. Um, a lot of other kind of the kind of these diseases get stigmatized. There's also now the, I've always read or understood there's some connection between uh, protection from malaria because of where in the world uh, people originate that have sickle cell um, and sickle cell. Do you maybe you probably know more than I do about that? What's what's the connection yeah. there? I, I can't explain scientifically how, how it works, but uh, both malaria and yellow fever are, are two diseases that people with sickle cell, uh, generally speaking, I don't know that this applies across the board, but generally speaking, um, cannot contract. Um, and I, I think you're right. It does have to do with some of the regions of, of, of people in Africa who had sickle cell. Um, and, you know, that's something I've, I've experienced. And my wife is, is from Nigeria. And that's one of the things, if you, if you go to visit, you have to, um, you know, worry about anti-malaria medicine and anti-yellow fever medicine. So um, that's, that's one of those things that I guess is, a, you know, a benefit, uh, an added benefit to mm-hmm. not have to, not have to, to worry about. Uh, but yes, that is, that's, that's true for, I believe most people with sickle cell that, 
um, because of the, the unique genetic makeup that you're not able to contract those diseases or uh, perhaps you can, but they're not, they don't have any, any impact on you. Hmm. That's pretty. So from that standpoint, um, we, we tend to think about, uh, well, we categorize people in buckets by race, but it's really more complex than that in terms of yes. like where you hail from, you know, going back mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, the example before with the, a black woman with celiacs yeah. and this just, you just know what, don't know what's in the gene pool completely. Um, yeah. But um, yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say on that point, you know, my, my journey with sickle cell has really been one of constant discovery. Um, mm-hmm. And that's because, you know, from the time that we started out realizing that this was something we got to, to treat and manage, um, we were constantly searching for resources. And, you know, I grew up in Richmond, Kentucky, um, in Richmond, for example, um, the hospital that we had there was not equipped uh, with doctors and nurses that fully understood sickle cell. So, you know, I had to always travel to Lexington anytime I got sick, even though the hospital in Richmond was 10 minutes away. We had to drive 30 minutes because the doctors in Lexington were better um, prepared to, to treat sickle cell. Even with that, um, you know, we've never had a sickle cell clinic here. In Lexington, that I've been able to attend, there are some in um, in more um, areas that are more heavily populated with African Americans, like Cincinnati, um, D.C., Atlanta, um, I believe Detroit and Chicago as well. Those areas have sickle cell clinics for children and for adults. Um, but growing up in a in a town like Richmond, Kentucky, uh, I didn't get to see people that had sickle cell, and I didn't get to talk to doctors that knew much about sickle cell. So, imagine you know going to the ER and you've got something that's wrong with you and the nurses don't know what it is and don't know what to Mm. do with it. Imagine the feeling of that when you're in excruciating pain or you're in an emergent situation and the people taking care of you have to stop and ask you questions about what they should be doing or what you need or don't need, what's safe and not safe. That's been my experience my entire life from from being a child Mm. through adulthood. and I can, I'd like to go into more detail about what that's like being in the hospital uh, in, in those kinds of places, living with sickle cell, because it can be a challenge in a way that really no patient should ever have to have to go through. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Well, we're up against another break, actually, one minute insight. But uh, my guest today is Jonah Brown, and we're talking in depth about sickle cell disease, sickle cell anemia. So um, we'll be right back after this break. This is Toby Jenkins, host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You, and this is One Minute Insight. One of my favorite um, mantras or sayings, especially on the golf course, is one in a row. Now, I know statistically that makes no sense, and if you've taken statistics, you know that for anything to be significant, it needs to be two or three times to see a trend. However, without the first one, the second, third one, and subsequent ones are not possible. 
So that's often my mantra when I want to remind myself that taking the first step in terms of creating a habit or continuing to do something that's beneficial, it, the first step is the most important one. So next time you have started something new, whether it's new eating, behavior habits, uh, treating your partner or kids better, just remind yourself one in a row because you got to start somewhere. This is Toby Jenkins, host of Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. One of the biggest stresses that we encounter is money. Money issues strain our family life, create stress in our relationships, and can provoke serious anxiety and depression. And many don't know where to turn to get relief. That's where The Darius Norman Show comes in. The Darius Norman Show airs daily on WTTA-FM 101.2 from 1 to 2 p.m. Darius Norman is a certified credit and financial counselor and author of Rewriting Financial Rules. It's his objective to empower others with educational tools and services to assist them in taking control of their financial and credit issues. Tune in to The Darius Norman Show on WTTA-FM 101.2 and you can follow him on Twitter at The Darius Norman Show. We are back. You're listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. I'm your host, Toby Jenkins. Today, my guest is Jonah Brown. Before the break, we were talking about um, essentially because of the, um, and we'll probably get into this too, the kind of the scarcity of experts when it comes to sickle cell, um, probably also a lack of funding from a research standpoint. And then, you know, Jonah was talking about growing up in Richmond, Kentucky. Richmond is, uh, how big is Richmond? Uh, Richmond's one of the, I, I should know the answer to that. I don't know the numbers. <laughs> Richmond's one of the faster, it's been one of the faster growing cities in Kentucky. It's the home of Eastern Kentucky University. It's about mm -hmm. 20 minutes south of Lexington, but it's a, it's a small town. We've, we've got one hospital. Um, and, and so, as I was saying, you know, my my experience with my specialist was always at the University of Kentucky and their uh, pediatric um, hospital. And then as an adult, I've kind of bounced around and I'd, I'd be happy to go into more detail on that. But basically, you know, sickle cell requires comprehensive care. Um, usually sickle cell patients will have a specialist that is a hematologist. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes that usually falls in hematology, oncology as a, as a department. Um, but a hematologist or a, a doctor who focuses on, on blood diseases is, is who treats the underlying sickle cell. But uh, because of the different ways that sickle cell attacks the body, there's lots of other specialists that will need to be involved in a patient's care. This is so something that... I've got a quick, quick question. So like when you yeah. go to like a hem hematologist, what are the other common blood diseases that are hematologists typically deal with? The most common I think would be leukemia. Yeah, um, okay. It's that's usually one of the things that um, I hear most of my doctors term and I see in the patients that are in those same clinics. Um, but there's, there's a number of different uh, diseases. Uh, I'm not as, not as certain on, on all of them, but the ones that I hear most would be, would be leukemia um, sickle cell in, in some places, like that's mentioned earlier, will have its own clinic. Other times it will be part of a larger hemonc section. Um, mm -hmm. it just, it just depends not only on the number of patients that they have, but also on the expertise of the doctors. 
Uh, one of the things that I've come to learn about sickle cell is that there are a lot of patients with sickle cell that don't have insurance or might have um, Medicaid or um, some other type of insurance that is not always covered by, by different clinics. So um, that is sometimes a factor in whether or not a facility decides to devote resources to a full clinic. Um, one of the other things I think is just, um, you know, whether doctors, so one of the things that I've, I've, I've observed is, is, um, finding a doctor who not only is familiar with what sickle cell is, but has actually treated patients. Um, I've had plenty of hematologists that have studied sickle cell, but in their regular practice have not really seen a lot of it. And it's usually doctors who aren't placed in their residency in, in some of these cities like, uh, Chicago or Detroit. Those are the ones where, you know, if a hematologist has had a residency in one of those cities, then they've seen sickle cell. They've usually had some type of rotation in a sickle cell clinic. But outside of that, um, a lot of my um, previous physicians uh, were from other areas. Uh, they did not see sickle cell. They did not treat it. Maybe they're a little bit familiar with it, but the practicality of, of how to treat someone in the hospital in a crisis situation is, is tough. Um, yeah. And as I mentioned earlier on the phone, uh, in our call, in our conversation, I've had conversations in the hospital and the ER, um, pretty much at all phases of, of being hospitalized, where I'm answering questions or I'm making suggestions or saying, this is the medicine I need. This is the dose that I usually get. Mm -hmm. I can't take this medicine with that medicine. Um, mm -hmm. If I, if I'm getting this and I need to make sure that I've got oxygen, um, are you all testing this on my blood when you're doing these blood tests? I've had to give that, that level of detail to doctors and nurses about the labs that they draw, things like that. Um, and, and, you know, I'm fairly educated and I'm fairly educated about sickle cell, mm -hmm. but that should not be required of a patient in order to receive the, the standard of care that, that people deserve. Um, it, you know, and there are people with sickle cell that might have a crisis episode that are incapacitated, that are not able to talk. One of the other... Yeah. Yeah. One of the exactly other side what I was thinking about. Yeah. One of the other underlying, I don't know if it's a side effect or um, conditions that, that can happen. So, you know, sickle cell can cause stroke. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if a victim is going through stroke during a sickle cell episode, they're not able to communicate to their doctors or nurses um, the kind of care that they should be getting. Um, and it really shouldn't be on family members either. This should be standard for doctors. There's, there needs to be protocols, standard protocols in place for sickle cell patients that every ER has, every um, hospital has on hand. So that if they have someone that presents with sickle cell that they've never seen before, um, there's a reference point. But um, unfortunately, you know, growing up for me, that was not the case. So you and other uh, sickle cell uh, anemia patients really have to make lifestyle decisions based on your, like where you live. So yeah. in kind of what I take from what you were, from your experience is that um, you probably can't get the level of care you need if you're in a smaller community that doesn't have a significant population of or with people who have it. So, yeah. so like for you, um, you mentioned some of these big city centers. And so does that mean that this rules out small town living for you. You know, that's, that's something that, that I've had to think about my whole life and something my wife and I've certainly talked about. I've talked about with my parents, you know, as a child, I remember 
when we kind of realized we weren't going to get all the answers we needed from our specialists in Lexington, my parents took me to Cincinnati and we went to their uh, clinic and I got to sit and talk with the doctors and I had my notebook out and asked all kinds of questions. My wife and I, as, a, as adults, my wife and I have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've gone and sat in the sickle cell clinic in, in Cincinnati is a really outstanding clinic. They do great comprehensive care for their patients. Um, but, you know, that's an hour, hour and a half drive that is a luxury for a lot of people. And it's a luxury, especially in a, in a emergent situation. If, if, you know, I can be confident in the consults that I get from those doctors when I go and visit, but um, if I get sick tonight, I can't drive to Cincinnati to the ER. I'm going to have to go to the closest ER and those doctors still are in the dark. So um, I've had the situation where I've had to ask doctors to consult with my specialists in Cincinnati and other places. Um, I've got a roster of doctors that I'm currently in discussions with in some other cities, um, just getting questions answered, trying to better understand different aspects and facets of sickle cell, some of the new therapies and treatments that are out there. But um, if, if the doctors here are not regularly treating it, then they're not on the cutting edge of new treatments, emerging therapies, or not clear on all the different uh, resources that a hospital might need. And there's just not as much of a demand to, to make that case for it. Um, so yes, you know, I, I say that that's, that, that is something that everybody with sickle cell has to think about, but it, it's a luxury to be able to mm-hmm. move to a, a big city just to get the kind of healthcare that you need for something that while not as, as common as other diseases is common enough. And there's enough information out there that every hospital now should be adequately prepared to treat it. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you, you mentioned, so you're in Kentucky going to Ohio and there's some insurance ramifications for that um, mm-hmm. that also put people at a pretty big di- disadvantage depending on their coverage. Um, so what what kind of obstacle or how do you, if you're living in one state and need to go mm-hmm. to another state for treatment, how do you, how should, how do people work through that? You know, it, it's, it's different for everybody depending on your insurance situation and, you know, in the healthcare system in, in the United States right now is suboptimal for people that have uh, chronic illnesses. And if you have sickle cell, um, you know, my heart goes out to you because it is, it's, it's tough. I've amassed, um, I would say thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars in hospital bills out of pocket. And I've really never had a lapse in insurance. Um, but just the sheer number of hospital visits, hospitalizations, you know, one hospitalization for me for, for one week, given the number of tests and, and things that I, I undergo while I'm there, could easily be a thousand to five thousand dollars out of pocket. Hmm. Uh, that's you know one week in the hospital. You know I've had yeah. three surgeries as a result of of uh, sickle cell throughout my life. Um, I've had plenty of other consults and, and tests and things done. So it you know, it, it gets, um, it gets out of hand pretty quickly. And I think that that's probably true for a, a lot of folks. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the other thing I, you know, I touched on a little bit is emergent care. Um, if you're going to the ER, um, I don't know how many times I've had to call an ambulance. Um, we've, we've been able to sort of figure out whenever I wake up in the middle of the night with a, with a pain episode, whether or not it's something that we can manage, um, depending on how severe it is or if it's something that is is so severe or dangerous that we need to call someone because 
Um, it can a, a crisis episode can be life threatening. It can be um, it can be deadly under certain circumstances. So, uh, and it's hard to know. It's hard to evaluate um, how how much pain you're in or are going to be in. Um, so you know there, there are associated costs with that. Getting an ambulance to come and get you, spending time in the ER, and and sometimes diagnostic tests where doctors, as I've mentioned, don't know as much about the disease. Are mm-hmm. testing and trying to figure things out, um, you know, you pay for that, that, that costs. So if you have a doctor that knows exactly what they need to look for, uh, that's great. But when they don't, you know, you're, you're going to be tested. And there's plenty of things that were, were done to me that I would just ask, why am I being tested for this? What are, what are we looking for here? And a lot of times it's just ruling things out. Um, mm. I'm never opposed to that, but sometimes it is unnecessary for, for those that um, already know what they need to know about this disease. Wow. That's a significant challenge all around. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, uh, we're up against a break, but, you know, I'm kind of curious about a couple things. One, we can talk about this after the break, but, um, um, you know, sickle cell ravages the whole body, but are there some like common causes of death from sickle cell, long-term health implications, and then the other thing I, I'm, I would imagine it might happen to you and other sickle cell um, uh, carriers or sickle cell, um, sickle cell patients. Patients, uh, warriors is another thing, that, another term that, that people use. Yeah, but, you know, is it in your head or parts of it yeah. in your head? So um, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, touch on some of those things when we come back from the break. Uh, You're listening to Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You. We'll be right back after the break. You've got mail. Today's list of mail comes from Carol. Dear Toby, I am recently divorced from my husband. We have two children together, six and nine. My husband insists that I get his approval before I introduce anyone I'm dating to our children. I don't think that's fair. And I think it's jealousy and just another way of him controlling me. What advice would you give to Carol? Anyone you're dating to me, you know, I, I, I don't have kids myself, um, but I, I know others that have been in similar situations. Um, you know, I, I would say, you know, to think about what is in the best interest of your kids and think about how you on your own would plan to, introduce uh, a new significant other to your children and you know in that sense I would say that's that's one of those areas where uh, it's important to try to get on the same page with your with your ex on what that should look like I don't know that uh, it's it's realistic for uh, someone to get approval from an ex about their their uh, new significant others but I think certain level of communication uh, about someone that you've met that you are now ready to introduce to your kids, I think is certainly fair and appropriate. I think just letting them know is, is, is one thing. Um, getting their approval is, is certainly subjective. And I can imagine lots of scenarios where that would be difficult. But I think there probably is some compromise in, in just uh, a healthy kind of communication with, uh, with someone who uh, could just be informed. This is, this is someone I'm bringing around our kids. Um, is there anything in particular I could let you know about them that, that you might want to know, you know, and, and, and put yourself in his shoes. If, if he was um, dating someone else, um, what would you want to know about that person before you felt comfortable with them? 
being around your kids. Um, and maybe that's, that's where you start the conversation with him. Uh, this is, this is what I would want to know. Is this, is this uh, a, a fair compromise for you as well? Jonah, are you sure? I, you know, I'm always amazed at my guests and how thorough the answers are. That's a really good, that's a really good answer. I think you'd make a good therapist too, by the way. Uh, a couple Don't of say therapists. that. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you know, I think you're, I think you're spot on. And um, it, it, often it gets complicated when relationships end and their children involved in terms of, um, I mean, you don't want to, you know, because statistically women don't date anymore. Um, mm -hmm. Not saying that that's all the time, but statistically men immediately jump into new relationships. Women with children often don't um, because mm -hmm. they're, they tend to turn their focus towards their kids. So yeah. I agree completely with, you know, an ideal world uh, getting on the same page in terms of like what, what is our dating life going to look like with other people after and agreeing mm -hmm. ahead of time at what point should mm -hmm. we, is it appropriate to introduce new partners to the kids? Cause the priority should be stability for the kids and parenting the kids together. Um, so that's ideal. Um, in my line mm -hmm. of work, um, I would say less than half the time it works out that way. <laughs> sure. Um, but it, sure. But as amicable as you can make it, especially in terms of co-parenting and dating new people, the better for everybody. So, um, yeah. so Kara, I hope we helped you. Um, thanks for writing in. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with more Paradigm, insights into relationships and you with Toby Jenkins. positively transform schools, then let me, Joel Cotty, keynote speaker and facilitator of the professional learning, Ignite, hashtag love in schools, put deep passion, purpose, and joy back into your classrooms, hallways, and school events. Share my contact information with a principal or district leader near you. My phone number is 859-967-8510 and find me on Twitter and Facebook at Ignite Love PD. We are back. You're listening to Paradigm Insights into Relationships and You. My guest today is Jonah Brown, and we are talking about um, sickle cell. And so, you know, we've talked a lot about the uh, treatment care, uh, care when you have a crisis episode. Um, and you've alluded to this off and on through this, but, you know, being a, having this disease, um, has to have a significant effect, not only on your relationships, um, but also like mental health. So, um, maybe let's talk about the relationships Like uh, you mentioned before, um, you've been married for a number of years and I would imagine your wife is the first line of defense or the first to know when there's something going on and that has to be kind of stressful. So, um, how, how, how is, uh, having, how is having this disease affected your relationships? 
You know, it can be tough because um, it it does change some of the dynamics that we have on you know normal days for us when my wife has to go into caretaker mode and I have to force myself into patient mode. Um, mm-hmm. If I am if I am in a position where either I'm in pain, I'm in the hospital, or if I'm just not feeling that well, if I'm feeling tired and I need to rest, um, you know, it can be it can be a challenge. I think you know. I, I didn't fully grasp. Um, I, I saw it in my parents and I've seen it in my wife, but it's been hard to fully grasp until my wife and I have had some really deep conversations about what it's like just to see me in that condition, to see me um, as a full grown adult in, in screaming, crying pain, um, what, what that must be like, or to see me, uh, you know, not know what is happening to my body or not know what to do about it. Um, you know, the word that I hear, a lot from my wife. I heard a lot from my mom growing up was just helplessness. Mm. Um, you can feel helpless when you don't really have a, a lot of ways to, to change um, what's happening. Um, it can feel a little bit inevitable for, for me as the patient that, okay, um, I realize what this pain is. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I know exactly what that is. And there's nothing I can do. I see it coming and there's nothing I can do to stop it. I think it's very similar for the the loved ones, people who help, you know, living with someone with sickle cells, you see it coming and there's nothing you can do to stop it. And you know exactly what it means or what it could mean. It could mean a night in the ER. It could mean a week in the ER. It could mean uh, in the hospital. It could mean um, complications and things. And, and I think your mind races to lots of different places of, of what this could be. Um, you know, I was blessed growing up to have both of my parents always present um, in my life and, and, and in a, an emergent care situation. Um, I would see, you know, my dad was more measured and, and calm. He would stop and he'd pray with me. My mom would pray, but she would also, um, you know, she would, I don't want to say she would panic, but she would get scared. It would be difficult for her to see me or my sister in pain like that. And I, I you know, and, and I think, the more they went through it, the better they got um, mm-hmm. in terms of just knowing what to do, knowing what to expect, knowing how to react. Um, but early on, I know it was, it was tough on them. And I think my wife is the same way. You know, she started seeing me go through this in college when we first started dating. Um, and her level of involvement just grew as, mm-hmm. as we got closer and she became more a part of my life. Um, to where now, you know, she's stepped into that role that, that my parents used to take on and just, mm. you know, getting me to the hospital, going to the doctor's appointments with me, asking the questions, making sure that I'm getting the right care. Uh, you know, just, I mean, pretty much constantly staying on top of the nurses, staying on top of the doctors. Um, but that can be incredibly stressful. You know, usually they'd stay the night with me there at the hospital and they're sleeping in those really uncomfortable hospital chairs. Um, it, it can be grueling for someone, you know, taking care of me and, and taking care of anyone with, with this disease, uh, just because you're, you're constantly worried, but you're also, you're constantly on alert, but you're, you're, you're tired, you're not getting rest yourself, you're, you're, um, and, and for any disease, anyone that spent time in the hospital overnight, you know, it's really hard to get rest at night. Um, for sickle so, cell, it's no different. So I have a question for you. So you mentioned, um, the feeling of helplessness that your wife experiences when mm-hmm. there's nothing she can really do to help make things better. 
But you know, the other side of that too is um, you. Like, what's that like having to be that helpless and vulnerable with? Because as men, we don't want to. We don't want to admit, oh, I'm down, or I'm, you know. So, um, has that been? Uh, how have you worked through that? You know, that's something I think I accepted the awkwardness of needing help sometimes in really inconvenient situations a long time ago, uh, because I've had crises at all the worst possible times. I've had them at friends' houses during sleepovers. Mm. I've had them, you know, at school. I've had them at work. I've had them, um, you know, on vacations. Um, and when you're in a situation where all you can think about is I'll do anything to get out of the pain that I'm in, mm-hmm. uh, you, you pretty much surrender, um, the pride and all the, the ego and all those other things that would normally come into play. It doesn't mean that the, I don't think about them, but it's it, like, it's pretty quick how your mind adjusts to, okay, you're now in survival mode. You don't have a choice, but to, um, let someone carry you in front of your, your peers, in front of your friends, which is tough for someone in, in high school or in college mm-hmm. to, to, you know, I remember a couple of times from my dorm room, the ambulance would have to come and get me. And the, oh, wow. the, the embarrassing nature of that is, is one thing, but it's, you know, for me again, it's, I will have to deal with what's embarrassing about this later. Right now yeah. I, I got to deal with the pain. Um, and, and, and maybe that speaks to just how severe the pain is. If you think about how, uh, uncomfortable it might be to need to defer to someone for help. Um, what it, what does that say about the pain that 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 transition is pretty instant? Um, mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd say over time I've just gotten used to it. I, I'm I'm pretty comfortable and secure in knowing, you know, anybody that's in an emergent situation. If you're in a car accident or something, yeah. you know, you can't help it. You can't control it. You've got to, you know, accept that. Um, you now need to rely on a doctor or, or medical care or, or someone that's with you to take care of you. Uh, but it can be tough day to day because there are times where I'm not in that setting, but I just need to rest or take it easy. I'm not able to do certain things that, uh, you know, a, a husband would want to be able to do. Um, it can be tough when, you know, like I said, I mentioned, we've been on vacation. It's my first year uh, anniversary vacation. We went to Las Vegas um, in the middle of, <laughs> middle of, I guess it was the end of May, uh, 100, 100 plus degree heat. I ended up getting sick oh, and no. just kind of crushed our, crushed our, our trip. Uh, my wife is, is um, an angel about that kind of stuff, but it still crushes me because, you know, that's the kind of thing that we look forward to, that we build up to, and it, it can be taken away. My senior trip, I didn't get to go on because I got sick the night before. Uh, I've been sick and, you know, I've had to go to the hospital on Christmas. I've spent oh, wow. the hospital, uh, spent the week in hospital, uh, uh, spent the week of Christmas in the hospital, Thanksgiving, uh, you name it, uh, the worst possible times it's happened to me. So, um, now at 36 years old, there's not a whole lot that can happen that will throw me off. You know, I think about days like my wedding day and I'm just, I can't get sick on those days. <laughs> Um, yeah. that's, that's the thinking that goes into, but you just realize like it can still happen. And, and, and my honeymoon, the day we flew back from our honeymoon, we flew back and went straight to the hospital and I spent a week in the hospital. Um, so, so this sounds like the recipe for anxiety, basically yeah. never knowing when, and, um, mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. probably, I would guess, um, 
then it, you can, we kind of tend to protect ourselves by expecting it, which also yeah. amplifies anxiety. So, you know, from a mental health standpoint, would that be the kind of the biggie, just not knowing when and not knowing when and sort of living with that, um, that, you know, I, I lay down every night thinking uh, whether tonight will be the night. Mm. Um, and sometimes it's a fleeting thought. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's a lingering thought that can keep me from sleeping. Sometimes when I don't feel well and, you know, and we all have days where we just don't feel well. Days where you're tired, your body's tired, you do a lot, and you feel achy or uh, some other unrelated thing is going on. Uh, my mind races uh, when I lay down and the end of the day, everything kind of settles in on you. You feel everything that's aching and mm. stuff about your body, especially as I get older, my mind, my mind can't help but go to the place of, is this, is this that? Yeah. Uh, so that I don't have to worry about that way. Um, but it's, it's constant. Um, I, I told my wife this once I said, there are times where, things that I might normally want to put off. Um, I don't put off in the event that tonight's the night and I have to go to the hospital. So if, if there's something that's sitting there, like, um, you know, in, in our house, I like to, to fold clothes a lot. My wife and I, I both fold clothes, but I, I like to do it as soon as I see that, get to that full point. Um, some people might say, ah, oh, we can do that tomorrow. I might say it's 11 o'clock at night. I might say, let me fold these clothes now because I might end up sick tonight. Wow. Um, and that's not a realistic, healthy way to live. Um, but it's something that despite my best efforts, I continue to continue to do experience. Um, I've been blessed to have a great family and, and, and uh, they provided all the resources that were available to me growing up. Uh, since I've been married, my wife has been fantastic about encouraging mm -hmm. me to take care of my mental health, to mm -hmm. you know talk to a counselor, um, to do all the other self-care type things like uh, and this is something that I learned when I went to Cincinnati and their clinic for adults uh, that they recommend and they, they offer all of this in the clinic, not just the underlying hematology care, but they offer massage, they offer aromatherapy, they offer counseling, they offer um, help with, with job consideration because a lot of people with sickle cell deal with lapses in jobs because, you know, you're oh, yeah. in and out of work. Uh, yep. If you, you know, run out of sick time, a lot of people, depending on your job, might lose the job. So, um, those are, are things you got to think about. If you've got kids, you know, you got to think about social work and, you know, you, so who's going to take care of your kids if you're in the hospital, those, those kinds of things, uh, all come up and lead to more stress and more anxiety. So I've had to be really proactive about taking care of myself in all of those other ways. Um, because, uh, if not, my mind will go crazy. Oh, for sure. <laughs> That's a lot to, to carry around at one time. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I, you know, I want to thank you first because, um, you know, I often end up saying if we help one person, then mm -hmm. this time has been well worth it, especially mm -hmm. with how much of your experience you've shared. And so uh, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. So, uh, Jonah, where where can people find good information or resources uh, about sickle cell, whether it's for people who have loved ones with it or they just want to learn more about it? Yeah, there's actually a lot of great resources out there now for people that are living with sickle cell, uh, for family members, for friends, for community members who are interested in learning more about uh, helping the fight uh, for sickle cell uh, research, um, the chase for a cure, 
Um, the first place I would, I would direct people is uh, sicklecelldisease.org. This is run by the Sickle Cell Disease Association of America, and they've just got a trove of, of great resources for healthcare providers, for families, for individuals with sickle cell. Um, I would also um, direct people living with sickle cell to also check out sparksicklecellchange.com. Um, this is a really cool website that, that helps to educate people and families about living with sickle cell and provides lots of in-depth resources um, about a lot of the day-to-day things that you might not think about or take for granted. Uh, so that's sparksicklecellchange.com. And then there's also Sickle Cell Society, which is another great uh, resource to connect with others who are living with sickle cell and, and find out about different uh, programs in your area. Um, and then one of the other things that is really crucial for sickle cell um, awareness is, is creating this broader awareness in the general community about the need for blood donations and for bone marrow transplants. Uh, blood donations are one of the primary ways that sickle cell um, disease is treated. And um, there's often a shortage of um, uh, blood donations, particularly from the African-American community. So uh, any, you know, everyone's local community is different, but if you contact the local Red Cross, um, they have an initiative where they uh, help to uh, organize blood drives for sickle cell and raising awareness for the need for blood donations for sickle cell. And, and that's something that has certainly increased uh, during the pandemic as, as blood shortages were um, pretty much everywhere. Um, there is a, there is a, an urgent need for um, people to donate blood um, for all things, but, mm-hmm. but particularly for sickle cell. Uh, the other thing is that um, there is some, some, some bright, uh, bright spots in the, in the, um, race to a cure for sickle cell. And there is one particular treatment option that does cure the disease. Um, it is a bone marrow transplant. Hmm. Um, the challenge to that is finding suitable matches to provide the, the, the transplant. Um, typically, this would be a sibling that is either healthy or at least only has the sickle cell trait. Um, but it could also be from another family member or a stranger. Um, but there is a, a dramatic shortage in uh, donor matches in, our, in the registry. So one thing that I would encourage people that might be interested in, in this is to visit join.bethematch.org slash cure SCD. That's, um, that's the website where you can go and uh, learn more about getting tested to see if you might be a match in, in uh, entering the registry for a bone marrow transplant which could um, cure someone of this awful disease. Yeah. Um, so those are the places I would point people to. And, you know, I would also say if you're living with sickle cell, you know, talk to your, your doctor, your hematologist, your other, your specialists about any local support groups or organizations that might be in your state or in your city um, that can connect you with other people living with this disease. Um, it's not something I would encourage anyone to go through alone. You need oh, yeah. a, substantial support system and that can look a lot of different ways but um i would definitely start somewhere start with start with your doctors and see who they can point you in the community to get you started well these are some excellent resources and and joan i want to thank you for coming on today and educating us all about uh sickle cell um you've been listening to paradigm insights into relationships and you my guest today was jonah brown and um we'll be back next week
relationship therapy or personal growth question you would like answered on the air, email me at toby at paradigmradioshow.com. You can find archive shows and additional details about guests of the show at the show's website, www.paradigmradioshow.com. You can follow weekly one-minute insight posts on the show's Instagram and Twitter feed at Paradigm Radio Show. For archived episodes, you can find episodes wherever you subscribe to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You is brought to you by Jenkins Professional Services and Hype Media Global. Thank you for tuning into Paradigm, Insights into Relationships and You with Toby Jenkins. Join us again 